Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, welcome back to Beyond the Ball with another podcast, Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gerston. Coach Klumpy, how you doing? Very good, very good. Yourself? Uh, I am doing well. Today was an interesting day of remote learning for the Gersung household. Everybody was home today, my four kids and myself, trying to do a little work from home. I haven't done this since June, so uh, it was interesting getting back in a the swing of being A little different approach, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's it's okay. It's okay. Anything to celebrate tonight as we get started? Yeah, my celebration after speaking to so many coaches on this podcast, getting me motivated for the season upcoming and sharing their wisdom, it brought me back to Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen as it states, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's where my celebration is. To all these coaches out there using social media, Zooms, uh, making videos, just reaching out to people, especially the younger coaches. Um, as they make it their purpose to serve the other coaches out there in hopes to promote and grow the game that, that, they, uh, that they love. So I celebrate you, those coaches that are making it happen. Yeah, the celebrations of other coaches is something that I feel like we're doing on this podcast anyway, just talking to coaches as we get ready to tape, as we're taping tonight and have a new episode ready to go tomorrow. These coaches just keep finding ways to connect with their athletes I know I saw on uh, social media one of our guests that will be the episode will be releasing Coach Donaldson from Heidelberg, his team because they can't practice right now. His football team they're having a Madden tournament amongst their team, which I think is just cool for these kids to still compete, stay engaged with each other, and build those bonds. And so, yeah, celebrations to yeah. all the coaches that are continuing to just find new and creative ways to stay connected with their athletes uh, and keep it going. Yeah, we're so grateful for all these individuals' willingness to share their journey and their experience and their knowledge and just to serve love and care f- for the others that are you know following in their footsteps. So we appreciate you guys so much. Yeah, now, you know what? We were talking about, or I was talking about doing this podcast with some family members the other day. And, you know, we don't really push it out there like some podcasts get pushed out there like i saw something the other day on twitter about what's the best podcast out there that nobody knows about and i was like three seconds away from putting us down yeah (laughs) and then i and then i held back um because i don't know maybe it's humility maybe it's 
uh, fear of a reaction to that. But I just told yeah. some of my family the other day, I just said, this is like a passion project for us. It's still literally like a couple months into doing it. Not something that we want to monetize or... You want it to happen authentically. Yeah, just very authentically, organically, however you want to say that. And one of the things that I really like about it from a personal aspect is that my kids are really in tune with it now, right? We've been doing this for a couple months. And so like tonight, my kids have asked me like, oh, dad, you got a podcast tonight with Coach EK? And I'm hmm. like, yeah. And they're like, who's coming on tonight? And they're asking me all these questions. Oh, cool stuff. Not, not that they know necessarily who I'm talking about even, right? So when I yeah. tell them we have a guest on from Atlanta, they're just like, oh my God, that's so cool. How do you, yeah. how do, you do that? And I just, I feel like to some degree just trying to be fearless about reaching yeah, out because what's the worst people are going to say, right? We can't do it or they avoid right. you or they if don't you never ask. The answer is always going to be no. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, we just, I just celebrate, you know, to piggyback on yours, the celebration of coaches that are a getting ready for their seasons, be willing to share um, and C willing to share with us. Yeah. Cause I just like hearing the different stories and the different perspectives um, even some of our fa- past guests like Coach Strickland uh, or Coach DeMarco are doing things on social media. And now it's kind of fun. Like we actually have a little personal side of the story. Right. To go you make with that connection social- and you follow them and, and yeah. they're, they're always retweeting it and giving love to, to the podcast. So it's awesome to see. Absolutely. And not only that, I just think even though, well, hopefully at some point we get to personally meet up with some of these coaches, at least that's a goal that I have in doing this, right? You at least get to see um, their profile on social media, but you have that intimate connection with them because you had a conversation with them. Right. And I just think the more that we can do, because we're 716 guys, right? We're Western New York guys. This world is super small with access to social media. There's no reason we can't talk from or with anybody from around the country. It doesn't have to just be here. Are you trying to give a little tease for our next guest? Say, what's that? Are you giving some teases out for our next couple guests? Yeah, a little tease for sure, because we have, you know, coaches listening. We have players listening, um, but we have coaches at the college level, coaches at the high school level. And I just think that the more we can connect people to other people, um, maybe we get some people in the Western New York area look outside of, here and yeah, go get them see. recognized. It's what we're yeah. all about. Serve, love, and care, man. Absolutely. And get maybe them a little bit of a bigger platform. It only takes one connection, you know, to, to connect with people. And, um, I think I, I felt that today a little bit. I was on Twitter a little bit and saw, um, a really great journalist, Tyler Dunn, um, who's covered the Bills a little bit, but also covers the NFL and does a variety of different things. Used to cover the Green Bay Packers when one of my former athletes was playing for the Packers. Um, and so just had a little dialogue back and forth with him today about some old basketball games from like 10 years ago. And just those connections seem very easy to make. Um, and I just want to, sh- I want to model that for my own children that there's really nothing to be afraid of. You just got to put yourself out there. And if it, it works, then it works, and it just—it's a natural type. Yeah, of thing, we just did. So. We just did this lesson in health class where I was talking about um, establishing habits for daily excellence and just encouraging the kids to take massive action in, in what their projects are and what their passions are. 
Yeah. And it's great to, and that's why we're following these people. And that's why we want to make connections with these individuals. Um, just because it's such a cool story and to hear everybody else's story, where they're from, what they like, what their culture is and what they're called, what they want to cultivate for their culture when they're coaching, man, I just, I just eat that stuff up. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, if we can do anything at all, I think the one thing that I would love to do is just continue to share the stuff that, as we call our pod, right, beyond the ball, share that with as many people as we can. Because I think sometimes, especially for me, this was the case, like I had a great varsity coach that I worked under, but I've only known like Akron basketball. And so very sheltered, I would say, in terms of my experience and broadening and getting out of my comfort zone outside of just my school and how I do it. And I think if anybody, if anything, I would like to just promote this idea within my own family for my students that people are more alike than they're different. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need to fear like or think that you're not good enough to do something that you're passionate about. You got to throw yourself out there and, you know, definitely, like you said, iron sharpens iron to not run from a challenge or run from people that appear to have all the success, but actually reach out to them and maybe challenge, you know, their way of thinking. I think that's one of the things you and I have have tried to like play off of each other over the last couple of years, too, is pushing ourselves out there and meeting different people so that we can improve our own personal value so that we can serve others better. Yeah, it's a great way to just kind of self-assess yourself. You know, you see these very successful coaches um, in any sport, baseball, basketball, or football, or whatever it is, and you you try to pick up a a thing here and there, and you you see if you can't relate it to your squad, your boys or girls, and and see if it can improve you in any way possible. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with that said, then, our transition tonight is to uh, a younger coach uh, from the Atlanta area, um, his name is Seth Kindig. I hope I pr- I'm pronouncing that right. He's going to hopefully join us after the break, and we're going to get into what he's doing and hear how things operate maybe in the south as we're up here in the northeast where the weather's a little different. Um, so hopefully uh, we have some great conversation with him. I'm excited. Let's do it. I'm excited. Let's go. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball with Justin Gerstung and Eric Klump. Be sure to check out these other basketball shows on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. If you're an NBA fan, explore our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Grizz and Grind, 305 Culture, Nuck If You Buck, Blazing the Path, and hashtag Lakers. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, welcome back to Beyond the Ball podcast with Eric Klump. I'm Justin Gerson. We are joined on this pod by Seth Kindig. Coach, how are you? I am doing well, doing really well. Thank you for asking. Glad to be here. All right, Coach. Again, thanks for coming on. Now, doing some research about you and Providence Christian Academy, one of the first things I came across was athletics, the Providence way to build a God-honoring and fun athletic environment for students to develop their athletic skills. Can you go a little bit into more detail about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, Providence is a school that's been around since 1991, and um, it's a big, uh, athletics is a big part of the life of the school as it is at any school. And so um, we have gone through our various ups and downs. Uh, there have been, been kind of seasons of life at Providence where we have been across the board good at every, you know, on, on every level, every sport, really successful. And then we've had some kind of seasons of, of droughts uh, across the board. And so um, maybe I want to say eight years ago, Providence is also where I went to high school. I, went, I actually went to Providence K through 12. So I was a student there as well. Um, they decided to kind of develop this idea of the Providence way and what it meant to be a Providence athlete so that we could kind of teach our athletes, um, you know, that obviously that sports is way more than just sports um, and that it's an opportunity. Uh, the, you know, the way that I, I like to talk about it is, is I think that sports is the best opportunity for us to learn about who God made us to be. Mm, um, and so the school wanted to kind of have a banner um, statement, vision for what athletics meant in that context with the Providence way and then allow coaches to kind of come in and, and put their own twist on it. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the Providence way. Coach, it sounds like at Providence transformational coaching is, seems to be a buzzword that a lot of people are using versus transactional coaching. It seems to be that that's, that's a priority. Is there some ways that you guys really emphasize transforming your athletes ways that you connect like activities or programs other than just the sports or within your own teams different things you do to connect oh absolutely um i'll speak really for our program mostly um you know providence does a great job of really giving the coach autonomy within their program uh, but yeah. also speaking life and vision into the coach as well. So kind of the, the way that it works is the school is tr constantly trying to develop the coaches and, and unify the coaches, but then also give the coaches freedom within their program. So, so for us, yeah, for, for girls basketball um, at Providence, it's, um, you know, we, we really try to hone in on the relationship component between player and coach. And what I mean by that is you spoke, you, you know, you mentioned transformational versus transactional. Um, yeah. And one of the tools that we use and that we talk about um, is a tool called the influence model. And this is an activity, a conversation that we have with all of our players where we actually teach them about basically um, their personality through an assessment called the five voices. And what they do is that's an assessment that basically is designed to teach them how God wired them specifically through how they communicate. And so one of the things that we talk about um, with the influence model is that basically we teach our athletes that you build trust with other people through one of four means. And there are four C's, so they're kind of easy to remember. Those C's are competence, character, chemistry, and credibility. And what we say is that Everyone is building trust with others. So I'll speak for myself. So for example, I am a competence-centered voice, which means that if I'm not aware of the way that God wired me, that I'm building trust, I'm evaluating other people, people that I come into contact based on their ability, how competent they are. So if that's true, if that's true, if that's what I'm assessing and I'm not aware of it, then what do you think that I'm trying to project to them, right? If I'm assessing other people on their competence that I'm trying to prove to them, that I'm competent as well. And so what that can cause is what we call the wall of, of self-preservation. 
And so we all hit that wall of self-preservation in relationship. And if I can break through that wall of self-preservation, on the other side of that wall is opportunity for transformation. But if I can't break through that wall of self-preservation with my athletes, then that's what becomes a transactional relationship. So within our program, we talk a lot about that and we try to educate our players and help make them self-aware of how they're wired to to, for them to know, am I a competence-centered voice? Am I a character-centered voice? Which the character-centered question is, is this person a good person, right? So they're assessing me as their coach and how I am doing um, with how good of a person they feel like I am. The chemistry-centered voices are asking, do I feel like I can get along with this person? And the credibility-centered voices are asking, what is this person's track record of success? And so the the self the wall of self-preservation really comes down to kind of like a fear insecurity based question right so maybe it's uh the three questions are uh, what am i trying to prove and to whom what am i afraid of other people finding out and what am i trying to protect and so we educate our athletes with that tool that we call the influence model to teach them with that assessment I talked about earlier, how they are interpreting others with probably a lot of times without even realizing it. And that obviously affects the way that you communicate as well so that we can build those relationships to break through those walls of self-preservation to say to a competent centered voice that one of my girls on my team to say, hey, like, look, you don't have to try and prove anything to me uh, because I, I know that you are valued and you're a valuable member of this team for this X, 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 and whatever the reason is so that we can speak truth to them to break through that wall so they don't, it doesn't veer into a transactional relationship. It's, it's transformational. So um, I love how specific your question was because a lot of times with these conversations happen very broadly and generally, but yeah. um, hopefully that was a specific enough answer to talk. No, that was I mean, Coach, I mean, yeah, that's unbelievable. And I'm going to actually follow up with you a little bit on it. I sure. mean, that must take immense vulnerable hopefully i'm pronouncing yeah. vulnerability right for sure yes. humbling, you, humbling experience for oh sure. my goodness like to to just as a coach and as an athlete uh, how my question is because coach and i both coach at public high schools yeah um so maybe the dynamic of the kid and their background is a little different how do you how do you perceive or what is your take on like resistance are your kids mm -hmm. that you have in your program open to that does it take a little bit of time what does that look like as you're going through that model yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question uh, and I, I would just say that every kid is different um and we we have i mean we've had kids that have had serious um very very serious um home issues mental health issues um we've had everything from you know, most of our kids at, at a private Christian school, um, you know, they have very stable homes. So school is a lot of times their outlet to, um, you know, if they're going to act up to, yeah. or, or if they're going to act up, they're going to act up at home because school is a place that's very, like, they're, they're comfortable there. And, but we get, we get the other types of, of kids too, right? Who, you know, home is not so great. So they kind of come to school and manifest that, you know, you know, and acting up or expressing themselves or whatever that is that happens at school as well and at our school as well. And so it's um, sure like we may be serving a little bit of a different type of kid in terms of what their background is. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of the heart issues are the same. Yeah. And so oh, a lot so of good. the strategies that, I would use, I would use with any kid. And I would just say that every kid is a little bit different. I, I think that um, we've structured some 
we've we've tried to input some leadership structure into our program so that basically over time we're getting we're pushing through those walls and yes it does take a lot of time and yes it it, it takes a lot of vulnerability but at the end of the day I, I i really believe that that's how we are designed is that we're designed to live deeply in relationship with other people so if i'm not modeling that as the coach then we're never going to get anywhere so it does take, uh, there, there are some intentional strategies we use to do that. And, and, and like you mentioned, it, it definitely does take time. But I mean, you think about it, like a lot of these kids that are on my, in my program, I have five, six, seven year long relationships with them. Um, I've been coaching a lot of these girls since they were in third and fourth grade um, on some level. I've been in their life. So it's really, you have a lot of time. And, um, you know, when I was in, in college, I had a really, really wise mentor um, tell me that, you know, the best piece of advice, the most important thing for you to do in the lives of young people is just to show up. And, and so I feel like that's kind of how I walk into the gym is, you know what, not only am I going to be available in practice, but I'm going to be as available to these girls as much as possible to be able to build these relationships with you to break through that. And I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some very intentional strategies, but at the same time, I'm going to make sure they know that this is this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to develop relationships that are lived um, deeply with each other, uh, both from coach to player. But mainly, really, all I'm trying to do is foster a community and a culture where they're doing that with each other. Um, and it just becomes part of who we are and what we do, and it becomes the norm. And I think we've gotten there to that point where that is what's seen as expected is that you know what, we're going to be vulnerable with each other. We're going to t have these conversations about how we're wired and how that impacts basketball, how that impacts our lives. So um, it kind of is at a point now where it just kind of happens. Um, and, you know, these transformational relationships, um, they get to, they, they are getting to do that, be that, do and be that for each other more so than even really me having to do it. And so my job is more to foster that community while also exemplifying that heart but really trying to push them to do it with each other. Coach, earlier, um, Justin and I were having a conversation about um, iron sharpens iron. And just from hearing this tremendous stuff that you're talking about, I just feel that um, you, you're laying down the groundwork so that young kids can understand that there's a variety of different personalities and we have to open up these communication, open up, um, levels of communication so that we can understand each other so we can sharpen each other in the end. Absolutely. Now, I love, I love so much of what you said there. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of, it makes me think of two things that I want to make sure I, I, I put across. I think part of it for me is it is a very specific vision and mission for me because um, I, I went to high school where I coach. So mm -hmm. I very much am familiar with what are the norms, what are the expectations, who are the popular kids, who traditionally, the, it, what type of kid is the popular kid. And I felt so strongly when I went away from that culture and experienced a different community that I was able to kind of see and poke holes and see, okay, where are we falling short? That coming back, I kind of had a very specific mission. And I think so, like one of the things that I'm very passionate about is doing this specifically for young women and helping them see that, look, like, you may feel like our community is pushing you to fit into this box, but actually look at all of these ways that God designed you that you don't get to express except when you're playing basketball, yeah. right? So how cool of it is a thing that, you know, we get to create a community for them to be expressing something that feels unique to them that they might not get to get to access anywhere else. So I'd say like, that's a big part of it is, is 
that you know, I feel called to be creating that environment where young women are getting to discover who they are and a lot of times parts of themselves that sometimes are shunned or looked down upon in other places. But to your point, there's a bigger point to be made here absolutely about how we get in norms. I talk about this all the time. Uh, we have a leadership program at my school that I, that I lead and we talk in that all the time about how in high school, you know, we get in these, I call them norms of conversation, where um, you just kind of like, no one's trying to do it, but all of a sudden this friend group or your friend group gravitates into what is acceptable for you to talk about and what's not. All the time, and all the time. It, absolutely, and it's hard to break through that once the norm is set, right? And no one is saying, hey, we only talk about these things and we don't talk about these things. But once the norm is created, it gets really hard to break through that barrier. It's a lot like that wall of self-preservation I was talking about earlier. And so again, I think exactly what you said, teaching these young women in my program to be able to break through that and to have the hard conversations, both good and bad, right? To be able to have those hard conversations and model them in, in high school is preparing them so well to be able to, one, show them what real community is like and what real mm -hmm. community is supposed to be like and how relationships were supposed to be lived. So on two different levels, one in a very specific way that I feel called to fulfill mostly because of my background um, with my wife and her story and my own experience kind of in that culture in a very specific way helping do this for you know groups of young women but also in a grander sense of just us as as people you know getting used to these norms in our relationship that can be really hard to break through but are where true life true relationship and true community is found coach i mean everything you just i can my pencil is probably on fire as i'm yeah. scribbling notes down i'm i'm loving everything that you're giving us I, I one thing that i i found interesting in there is that you are coaching back at the same school where you went to school and coach eric and i have also experienced yeah. that um eric is at his alma mater i am at mine we've been each been there almost 20 years now coaching and teaching and I can completely connect with you that I personally had a phenomenal experience in high school like I maybe it was just my approach I'm not sure but everything about what my high school experience was I loved with a few minor exceptions exceptions and I think you're right when you go away you gain all this other experience and then you come back and you just want to bring that those missing components my question to you is what were some of the challenges or were there any challenges when coming back? Because I know Eric and I had to deal with some of those issues with, you know, maybe other staff members. We both came back when we were in our early 20s, you know, probably similar to you. Was there a weird dynamic there or how did that how did that work for you? Yeah, no, there, there definitely was. So I, I am uh, I consider myself a skeptic and a cynic. Okay, so <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll add that context first. But um, you know, I, I tell this story a lot, and I've told it um, within our school. So this is, um, but you know, I did not want to come back to to Providence at all. Um, okay, that that from being away from Providence, I kind of on. I, I was like you. I had an incredible experience, but then I went away and realized kind of like what all the parts of community that I wasn't getting when I was in high school, which I think at the time I blamed Providence for that. But now that I'm older, I'm realizing that that's really just the nature of high school, right? Exactly. Um, but but I, I kind of came back to Providence reluctantly because they gave me a, a, a head coaching job when I was 23 years old. 
Um, but I was very open and honest and said, hey, I'm coming back to help be a part of change in some ways that I think like Providence has got to change. And they, they, you know, have been incredible. The leadership has been incredible to say, okay, we want you to be a part of that change. And they have been putting me in positions to be able to do that, which has been really, really cool. And so I would say that on some levels, it, it was, I don't, I don't think it was difficult at all. Providence is an incredible community. Um, and the group of teachers, especially, is really, is, um, has been just super um, life-giving. Um, but it kind of was... It kind of was, I think like, I think there's, I have a little bit of a reputation of kind of being, I, I say this too, like a little bit of a, the rebel teacher, um, okay. where I, I was willing to kind of push the envelope, try new things, do things differently. Um, and wasn't so worried about fitting into, um, kind of what, what had been done before, or, um, you know, I would say maybe like, um, just what the expectations of a teacher at Providence were. And I kind of at first when I got back thought that I was kind of being almost rebellious in a way. And you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight my fights that I want to fight. But really what I learned as, as, I, as the leadership continued to pour into me was that that's exactly what they wanted me to do. And that's exactly what they had brought me back to do was to help lead some of that change. And so overall, it's been an incredible, incredibly fulfilling experience. And I think that I wouldn't be able to have the effect that I and have the, I don't know, the... Um, just the um, the impact that I am getting to have now if I hadn't, one, been a Providence student first and gotten to experience and be invested in the culture, but then also experience something very different and come back with that perspective as well. Yeah, Coach, you pretty much answered my next question with what you just stated. But um, when you came back with this vision, you're saying that you're the rebel teacher bringing in this new vision. Was it something that you had to um, present to the admin or did they just give you the keys to the kingdom and say, hey, we trust you. We, 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 whatever you want to do, let's make it happen. No, they were great. I, I believe this. And, and um, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me tweet something like this a couple of times. But they really trusted in my heart and weren't so worried about um, the behaviors, the tactics, the strategies that came out of that because they trusted my heart. And I actually think there's a lot of wisdom and leadership for that. Um, and, and I think that's a great hiring strategy. Um, you know, as we hire new teachers now uh, and, and the kind of the leadership role that I'm in as we're, as we're interviewing teachers, that's what we look for. Do you have a heart for young people? Because we can teach you to be an excellent teacher. But if right. you're an excellent teacher, but you don't have that heart, we, you know, that's a tough transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lot harder to teach someone to have a heart for young people than it is to teach them to be a good teacher. And they, they knew that, right? So they recognized the heart in me and, and were willing to comp maybe compromise or willing to risk, I think, on their part, a little bit of what, what are the, the what's the fallout going to be of him, of him trying some different strategies or coming at things from a different angle. And this was, you know, when you get out of college and you're so passionate about so many different things, you know, it's not, not it really wasn't like one or two things that I was like honing in on of, hey, this, it was everything. You know, I, how I wanted to teach math, how I wanted to structure the classroom, how I wanted to coach basketball practice, the way that I wanted to build a program, like all of these things I was, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do this different and this different and that different. And I think they just saw my heart and knew my heart and we had you know frequent conversations about what my heart was and then they trusted my heart to say you know we can deal with the fallout of, if his heart's in the wrong place and I think there's I just think there's so much wisdom in that for leadership and that actually taught me a lot about how I approach thinking about other teachers now as well and hiring and other uh, you know coaches too I think the same thing is so true of coaches that if you don't have a heart for young people 
Um, you and I probably aren't going to get along very well because if you have a yard for young people and you're kind of iffy on the basketball side of things, that's my job, right? I'm, my job is to be the basketball expert in our program, and I can help you get better and better at that. But if you're a basketball expert that knows a lot of X's and O's, but I'm having a hard time helping you connect with um, our players and you know encouraging you to jump into relationships and conversations with them, and they feel like you don't know them, then we're gonna we're gonna have issues. Yeah, this is this is just so tremendous. It's like it's like a, a a John Gordon book. Like my favorite author, one of my favorite books is The Carpenter, and another favorite book of mine is Lead for God's Sake. And um, you know everything you're talking about here, Seth, is is just ringing true. You know, it's almost like they are they are just more worried about um, if you care. You know, because if you care, if you serve love and care, then, then you can cultivate culture and you can cultivate hearts. And and uh, it seems like to be a very successful strategy here. Yeah, the the phrase that I like to parrot a lot to um, to teachers, parents, anybody who will listen, um, students, is that my job as a teacher. Uh, and so in, in my role that I'm at now, I actually lead our staff. And so it's my job to make sure that our staff are developing that they're you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing, that they're improving. And we take them through a lot of our leadership curriculum. But the number one thing they hear me say more than anything else is, we don't want, just, we don't want, for, uh, we don't want our students to know you. We want them to feel known by you. And I think that a lot of, you go to a lot of professional development for teachers, for coaches, and you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, it's really important that you know your players. It's really important that you know them. It's really important that you get to know them. And I think that's good. I don't think that's a bad thing at all, but I think that falls short because really what that student wants, what any player wants, who is there, this is the most impressionable time in their lives. And a lot of times you are the most influential person in the Without most impressionable time of their lives. What they want to feel from you is they want to feel known. They want to feel understood. They don't want to just feel like you know them. Uh, or you know things about them. They want to feel understood. They want to feel valued and they want to feel known. So that's a challenge we're constantly giving our teachers and coaches is what do you need to be doing today for your students to feel known by you? Coach, I mean, it might be the season that we're in with this COVID crisis. Uh, maybe it's just a personal season that I'm in as well. But I, I mean, your words are really speaking to me tonight in that I feel like leadership during this pandemic has really um, exposed some leaders. And, and not that I want to be negative, but you see a lot, especially where Eric and I are in public education, a lot of it still is more about checking boxes um, to make sure things are done and covered. Um, and even in athletics, in the public realm, it's about, you know, do you have this certification or do you have that certification? And it's very rarely a situation where you're finding the best yeah, exactly. person for the job. Um, and on a previous pod, we talked with some other leaders about just the concept of, you know, when you're hiring a leader, you know, are you picking the best person for the job right now? Or are you picking the best person for the job 10 years from now? And I think I heard that from someone a, a couple of years back, and it just kind of struck me that, like you're saying, do you have a heart for it is, is maybe way more important than do you have the qualifications right now for it? And it's just, I mean, I celebrate you. I celebrate your school for the, that philosophy. It's just pretty amazing. My question is, you know, where does this 
I mean, you're speaking with such confidence. Where does that confidence come from? Like when you came out of school, how did, what gave you that confidence to just come in and know that your purpose was um, on point? Well, I think that, um, you know, this, this is, has potential to be one of the longer answers of um, this podcast. But I mean, I really think it's just a combination of, uh, we, we have another tool in our leadership curriculum that we use called Nature Nurture Choice, and it's a simple idea. The idea is that the behaviors that you see from anyone is a product, we call it a unique and complex combination of those three things, right? Of, of nature, nurture, and choice. That when, when you see someone do something, you're not just seeing their nature, right? You have a lot of times when you, see, you hear people say things like, oh, that's just how this person is, right? And we almost make these attributes of, we like attribute things to this, you know, this person, almost like we're, we're acting as if this person was born this way or that way. But the truth is that any behavior you see from anybody is a combination of their nature, nurture, and choice. Um, nature being, you know, your DNA, um, literally, you know, what color your hair is, how tall you are, what's, what, what brain chemistry is going on, uh, your nurture, your environment, how you're raised. And then as you get older, right, your choices start to affect more and more the person that you are. And so for me, my answer to the question is really, it's a combination of all of those things. I grew up a pastor's kid. Um, and what my dad does is, is still to this day, he's, he kind of uh, goes from executive pastor role to executive pastor role. And his job is to establish a leadership structure within any, he does it with organizations he consults um, in the nonprofit space, in the corporate space and with churches, but he also works as an executive pastor at churches. So I kind of grew up watching him do it and watching him have a heart for young people. I grew up in the youth building. Um, and then I got to go to Davidson and have an incredible experience and be around a bunch of people who were um, wildly passionate about so many different things and also some of the smartest young people in the world. And, and then the last you know, five years, getting to um, be a part of building this leadership program that we've built at, at Providence um, and a combination of the self-awareness that I've gone through really in the past 10 years. I, I knew I wanted to be a coach at a very young age and I knew I wanted to work with young people. I have journals. I tell people this. Um, I work now with my baseball coach from high school. He still coaches at, at Providence. And, you know, I, I have journals of, of things my coaches did that I did like and that I didn't like when I was in ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade because oh, wow. I wanted to keep track of these things because I knew one day I wanted to be a coach. So, um, I think that I just have a very, you know, my nurture is unique and I got a lot of leadership structure experience at a young age and then got to go somewhere at, at Davidson and really the five years while I was at Davidson and the year after, um, where it was such a different environment that I got an op opportunity to take all of that stuff that I had learned in this kind of almost a, you know, a bubble of a community and, and reevaluate all of it. And so having to go through that process of reevaluating everything I thought I knew through a different lens almost confirmed the things that were absolutely true, you know, from that leadership experience that I had gotten. And now, you know, it almost was, they almost went those, those beliefs, those thoughts, those, uh, you know, the different ideas I had around leadership um, were, you know, some of them were thrown out because I realized, you know what, this isn't how I thought. But there were a number of those that were really confirmed for me. And now I just, you know, I hold them to be absolutely true, right? And, and so because 
I kind of have gone through that process of self-evaluation of self-awareness and really pinpointing what are those things that I really believe to be true about leading people and how can I just absolutely lean into them. Doing that for the past five years has unearthed strategies, has unearthed um, other things that I also believe to be true. So I would say it's, you know, I'm only 29, but I, I think that I've really been in the leadership space since, you know, I would say I was in high school. And so, um, you know, when you think about the time spent, when I think about the pure time spent, it really is a lot of time. And then, and then just that, I would say that process of reevaluation was really key in that. I think the self-awareness piece that you just said right there is something we've heard mentioned before yeah, time so and time times. again. And just being self-aware. I have four children of my own, ranging from 14 down to eight. And that seems like a constant conversation um, that I've been having with my with my high school child. Yeah. More recently is just constant self-evaluation of what are you doing and how is that reflecting out into the bigger world? What is going on outside of your space um, and how are you contributing? It's such powerful stuff. Coach, go ahead. Yeah, like I mean, he already kind of answered my next question. I was very interested in what, why he gravitated to Davidson after Providence, So, but he, he certainly answered that. And he also stated that he knew he wanted to be a coach at a young age. So after um, your time spent at Davidson, did you feel that you were going to stay around that area or did you, did you have a, you know, did you feel like God was pulling you back to Providence? Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, I'll say um, a couple of things. I did not want to go to Davidson at all when I left high school. I um, I knew that Davidson Davidson just happened to be the best school that I got into, and I had no idea. I I didn't know. I knew Davidson for Steph Curry in the Final Four. I knew oh, that, yeah? the, the Elite Eight. Sorry, I knew that they had made it to the Elite Eight, and that was all I knew. Um, but people in the community at Providence like kept coming up to me and saying, "Wow, you know, this is incredible! Like that you got into the school, you know, because it with the Hope Scholarship in Georgia, people stay in state because with the Hope Scholarship, the state will pay for your tuition if you have a three O or higher. Mm -hmm. And okay. so nobody goes out of state. What a tremendous program! Yeah, and uh, everybody stays in state. So when I went to Davidson, I did not want to be there. I didn't want to go to school to do school. I was there to be social and to invest sure. in community. And let me tell you, that that does not cut it at Davidson. No. And I learned that very quickly. And so I spent about a, a semester and a half kind of rejecting um, being there for what I needed to be there for. And then I decided, you know what, I, I better pour into this community and Open pour up into your heart what Davidson a little bit. is about. Yeah, exactly. Or I'm, not, or I'm gonna have to go home. And, um, and I realized that that's exactly all of the ways in which I needed to grow. Um, and I loved, I learned that I am obsessed with learning and, and I had no idea that I loved learning before that. And so um, I started coaching actually when I was a sophomore. Uh, I started coaching middle school girls. And like I said, when I graduated from Davidson, I coached at a high school there for a year. We had a very successful year um, as a high school girls coach. And um, I, I actually did not want to uh, come back to Providence. What happened was I knew I wanted to coach. I would do whatever it took to coach. My wife's company uh, actually moved us back from Davidson. It was moving her to Atlanta, which just so happened to be where I was from. And so I was oh, making wow. calls and I was going to go wherever would give me a, a coaching job. And Providence just happened to be the place. Um, and, and the rest is history, as they say. So, um, you know, I think that um, Davidson was something very different than what I wanted it to be, and that ended up being exactly what I needed it to be, and exactly it what God, like it. God had 
to, to teach me. And then, um, and then the same thing kind of happened again with Providence where I, I kind of said, you know what, uh, this isn't exactly where I thought I wanted to be, but this is exactly where I need to be and, and the ways in which God needs to stretch me. So it's, it's been uh, very providential in that way to, yeah. use, to use a pun. Coach, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy as I'm listening to you. I, I was in the similar position when I went to school. I went to the first choice, best choice that I got into. I, I was one of only like the first people from a, my family to ever go to college. So like picking a college was not something we had experience in. Didn't even have a major. Actually went to play basketball, which didn't end up working out as a player. Um, but got into education because I knew I liked school. Um, and I liked being there and just happened to meet, you know, the head of the education department at an orientation. And that's how I got into education. And then same thing, like student teaching just happened to me back in my hometown because I was living at home and it was easy and it just kind of all melded together. I mean, it's such a fascinating story how everybody has their journey and it just seems to work out in that way. Absolutely. What is your... When you were at Davidson, um, and we talked a little bit before we started recording about meeting your wife there, mm -hmm. how did that how did that situation arise? Because it seems yeah. like you two are pretty in in sync right now with uh, having a couple of kids as well. Absolutely, yeah. So um, it's a great story. Uh, first of all, I will say there's an incredible book um, written by a player. It was a teammate of Laura's named Amanda Ottaway. And it's called The Rebounders. And anybody who's listening that coaches players who um, want to have an idea of what playing college basketball is like at a school that a lot of people have never heard of. And her angle on it was kind of that, you know, and it's women's basketball, right? So a lot of people, you know, to be honest, are have zero interest in women's basketball. So she wrote a memoir on her experience, which was, it's an incredible book, but she tells the story in there too. Um, but we, I went to Davidson to play baseball. Uh, I was going to be a pitcher. I had grown up a catcher. I loved catching, um, but I could I could hit well enough to just get by in high school as a catcher. I was a, um, but played on some really good Final Four Elite Eight teams um, in high school. And then between the end of my tenth grade year and the start of my senior year, I grew ten inches. Um, and so I was kind of short and squatty and all of a sudden I was tall and long and lanky and I had a good arm and we had a player that was coming in the, uh, I started my whole junior year of high school as a catcher, starting catcher on a, an elite eight team that, um, was kind of the pick to win the state championship. And we, we just didn't, um, had two, two games where we didn't play our best and got beat. Uh, and then the next year when I was a senior, we had a freshman coming in who is currently the starting left fielder for the Detroit Tigers. So, so that's coach, coach, that's coach's team right there. That's yeah. right. Oh, there you go. So Kristen Stewart, you know, Kristen Stewart. Is? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was coming. I, I, he, uh, he was, he was coming in and he, he caught at the time as a freshman. So coach Cantrell, the baseball coach here at Providence pulled me aside and, and basically said, Hey, uh, can we find another place for you on the field? And at the time I was like, sure. Uh, and he said, well, you know, he said, have you ever pitched? And I said, no. And he said, well, why don't you give it a try? And so I started pitching and could throw pretty hard, um, had a great year as our closer, threw a few bullpens for Davidson. They said, sure, we'd love to have you come play. Um, so I went to Davidson to pitch. I spent a week uh, running and throwing for four days in the fall, in the off season, four hours a day. And I was like, this is not for me. I hate this. I do not want to do this. 
and uh, I was not a pitcher. Uh, I did not enjoy pitching. I was a catcher, and I kind of had thought, you know what, I'll go as a pitcher, but maybe I could convince them to let me catch. So the next day, uh, in the paper, uh, my roommate saw, noticed in the Davidsonian that there was an ad that anybody who had played high school basketball is welcome to come and practice with the women's team. And so he said, hey, do you want to go to this? He had played uh, basketball in high school as well. And I said, sure. And we thought there'd be, you know, a good, hand, a good number of guys there. We were the only two. And uh, I did that for all four years. I practiced with the women's team there at Davidson. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, when you're kind of like an ignorant high school boy, you have all types of opinions and you play basketball. You have all types <laughs> of opinions about girls basketball. Yep, right. But yep. man, I cannot, we, I was absolutely put through the ringer in that first practice. I remember going back to my dorm room, taking my shirt off and looking in the mirror and I was all bruised just everywhere. I mean, like it was, I was banged up. I was like, holy cow, this is just like something that I'm not used to. Um, and sure enough, did that for four years, um, actually got to kind of, grow in my responsibilities with the team and um and do a lot for them with the women's basketball program there and i met my wife she graduated as the all-time leading scorer that was just an incredible she actually broke the record with her last bucket of her career which was uh, an awesome amazing uh, just a cool experience and got to see her be elite i mean it was you know she she really taught me so much and is so much of my story of what i'm trying to do now because um you know, and I, again, I tell this story a lot, but I had never experienced someone like her who was just as, you know, normal and funny and just as like happy-go-lucky as anybody, but that at the same time would step on the court and just absolutely like, you know, like eat your face off and want to <laughs> right, just like right. absolutely destroy you and just was like an absolute. Right. And so that level of just like absolute aggressiveness and competitiveness coupled with this just very down-to-earth person was like I was like holy cow like this is someone I I you know I've got to get to know and so um started dating sophomore year got married uh November after we graduated and and now we have two little ones a two-year-old and an eight-week-old and um basketball is obviously very much a part of our story very much a part of our lives and I always tell people you know, students at Providence don't believe this, but when we walk around Davidson, I am known as, you know, Laura Murray's husband. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that is totally okay with me. So. Oh, man. Does she get to come to some of your practices at Providence? Yeah, she does. But she, um, she honestly, she tries to kind of stay away a little bit because she obviously has extremely high standards. And, yeah. Uh, and She'll so, get that itch. Absolutely. She, she kind of has a, and she has a hard time holding her tongue. So. She, uh, she, she, she's worried that she's going to be uh, highly critical and um, say something that she shouldn't. So she tries to stay away. But all at the same time, she would be fine. You know, there's, she would be great. And when she comes to practice, the girls love her. She just kind of tries to. She thinks that she, she's kind of always worried about saying something that she shouldn't say. So, But she does come to the games, and people will wonder who's that kind of crazy lady standing two, <laughs> two, two rows behind the coach that's you know yelling at the referee because she's, she's still got that fiery competitiveness in her. Um, but w when she comes, I'm telling you, it's like you know the, the, the eyeballs just boom right onto her and listen to every word that she says and eat it all up. So I try to get her to come as, as much as possible, but she kind of has you know tried to – step away from basketball and kind of move on and so she's trying to almost avoid being pulled back into that but uh yeah but i get her in the gym as much as i possibly can for sure coach do you guys have a shot clock there 
We just voted to have one, and we'll have one in um, yes in three seasons. Yeah, I. I'm oh, so, not for I'm three thrilled. seasons. Yeah, so this year you can use it in tournaments. Next year the regions can elect to use it in region play, and then the next year every team will use it. Oh, that's so just so bizarre. <laughs> so we've had one forever. We had one twenty well, we five twenty five yeah, years ago. Yeah, we've had a shot clock forever up here in New York. I'm hey, envious. Yeah, it's it's just makes the game. I can't even imagine. We've went and played actually. I've taken some of my teams to Pennsylvania, where at the time when I first started coaching, they did not have a shot clock, and it was like mind blowing to me just the difference in oh, what yeah. we were trying to do. You know, yeah, absolutely, just crazy. But um, real quickly, coach, you mentioned your wife and you got a couple of kids. How have you found now that you got these young ones? You know, moving around has that influenced? finding balance or finding a rhythm at home while you're trying to coach and, you know, do all this leadership at Providence. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I kind of ascribe to the theory that, um, and this is a, this is a James clear thing, you know, atomic habits. He talks oh, yeah. about this, Love James but, clear. but I, I believe this to be true that, that work life balance is kind of a misnomer. Yeah. Um, that really what that means is that people aren't focused enough in their rest um, that they're way too focused on work. So they have a hard time. Right. And I, I think I believe that to be absolutely true. So I think that for us, like Laura works, um, and, and she has a full-time job. She works more than me. And so we, we, we do the whole daycare thing and we, we love that. Um, so it's actually, you know, during the season, it's actually nice because, uh, normally I'm not the one who picks them up, but during the season, I actually get to pick them up a lot of times on the way home from, from practice. Um, but it's, you know, there's always some logistical things that can come up, but I think that for coaches, the, the wisdom that I have found to be really important for us is being able to really focus on your rest and really focus in the places that you are, which for me in the, uh, so for me, that looks like having clear markers in my head and in my heart. And sometimes that's a physical marker, like literally something that I drive by on the way home or something that I walk by or touch or, you know, like some kind of little token that I have or something of just like where I need to be in that time and being able to be intensely focused in that when I'm there. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been hard and we're new to this, right? I mean, we, we only sure. have a two-year-old and an eight-week-old, so uh, we're kind of learning as we go. But, um, you know, I, I would say that it, it just, for me, it's, it's the skill of being able to turn off head and heart that's in one area and then being able to intensely focus it where it needs to be focused and then also get the rest I need when I'm by myself to be full of energy enough to be able to both serve my, my, my students during the day, my players in the afternoon, and then, and then my family at night. That rest is huge. And I, I, I schedule it on the calendar every single week. That's the first thing I put on the calendar is when are my times of rest and what am I going to do to be filled um, so that I can and serve those you know, groups of people that are the most important to me as, as li like they deserve to be served. EK, awesome. you got to so, love that, man. Oh, that's, yeah. that's like right up your alley right oh, there. Oh, for sure. Scheduling your rest. And coach, one thing I'll just follow up with, I think, is being, you know, a, and I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but in the same vein, having four children running in 14 different directions, it feels like daily. Um, your partner, I think, has to be in harmony with you and be all in for you. And I think... 
if you have that, and it sounds like you do, you guys are, are in moving in the right direction. But definitely, like you said, when you're when it's time practice is over, this is one of my struggles, admittedly, I've had over the years, is being able to like walk out of the gym and like mentally leave yeah. the gym space as well because it so can get all consuming, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think you're so right. And and luckily having Laura have the background that she has, you know, she's she's able to understand a lot of what my responsibilities are as a coach. Um, which definitely helps. But no, I I, I totally agree. Being able to step out of that gym and I, we call it switching gears, right? Switching yeah, gears from from one heart and mind state to another is I uh, think that is something that every coach needs to know why that is you know what part I think it's part of that is hard for every single coach because of the different all the different ways that we're wired so being able to figure out for you as a coach why is that something that's hard and what are the things strategies you need to use to be able to switch those gears just tremendous stuff I'm just like coach said earlier, my, my hand is hurting from all the information I'm writing down, but we are running up on it. Coach has been a tremendously serving um, conversation with you. We ask everybody this in our pod and I know you're all the way down in Georgia, but we are very famous for chicken wings up here. Are you a chicken wing fan? I love chicken wings. Yes. All right. So do you go, do you gravitate to the drums or the flats? Oh man. I'm a drum guy for sure. Yes. Another one for the drums. Yeah. (laughs) So coach, where are some places if we were to come to Atlanta uh, that we would go to get wings as Buffalo guys? Okay. So um, there's a spot down in off of Ponce de Leon. um, And it is like just outside of Midtown and it's called the Righteous Room. Okay. Uh, and the righteous room is that's kind of this the that is the wing spot um to go to. Um and it's it's a lot of the Falcons, you'll see Falcons in there and they there'll sure. be a lot of Falcons players that will tweet about it. It was kind of made famous because Roddy White uh he used to go there like multiple times a week. Um, okay. But the righteous room is definitely the place to We got it down, coach. Yeah, to get your wings. Absolutely. I wonder we have a Buffalo uh, a Buffalo guy that plays for the Falcons. Okay. Uh Quadri is it Quadri Olson? Clumpy? Yeah. yeah. That plays for the Falcons. So I wonder if he's found that spot. I'm sure he's a wing guy for sure. Absolutely. Coach, I'm do you sure guys uh this is I probably already know the answer to this, but we have to ask. Sure. Uh do you eat blue cheese with your wings or do you eat ranch? Ranch all the way. Oh, oh I knew he was going to say that. My dad, <laughs> knew that. my dad was a blue cheese guy, and was I have he? nothing. I have a nothing against blue cheese, but uh, but no, yeah, it's it's ranch. Yeah, I think blue cheese up in this part of the country is a little bit different than what most people yeah. interpret blue cheese it's a to be. But yeah, up here it's a little bit different. I Coach, believe what, that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say I, I believe that. Yeah, just a little bit different. So, Coach, uh, before we get out of here, you. In one of the ways that we kind of got connected and reasons I thought you'd be a great fit for this pod is you do like a newsletter and post a lot of notes um, and send out some emails for notes. What really got you into that? I don't want to keep us too much longer, but I think that's such a great service for coaches. And if there's any coaches listening, I want to make sure they can kind of get access to what you're doing for them. How, how did that start? How can coaches get in contact with you about that? Yep, absolutely. So it really started with this quarantine. Um, and I've always been a, uh, I've always kind of prided myself on my notes and so when 
I was going through all of these online coaches clinics over the summer, I kind of realized at about mid-June, I was like, wow, I have quite a collection of right. these notes just from the spring. And, um, and so I said, well, why don't I try something and just tweet pictures of all of them out and all the different clinics. And that thread just kind of like took off. This was maybe in, I think it was late June, early July. And it was like a thread of 17 notes of different clinics. And so I knew I was kind of onto something just because of the feedback I'd gotten from that. And that, that alone, I mean, I, I probably had 12 to 13 um, different Zooms just off of me tweeting that one thread of people like wanting to Zoom with me to ask me questions about what Landry Kozmalski said about Swarthmore's five out motion. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, I just took notes on it. I could tell you what he said, but I'm happy to, you know, have this conversation, but it was incredible. Sure. And so sure. I kind of was, I kind of was thinking after that, what's a way that I can do this more consistently? That's not just something that's based on, you know, if there's this coaching clinic or that coaching clinic. And I'm always watching clinics and listening to podcasts. The B-Ball Immersion is one that I know is super popular. Oh, it's yeah, B-Ball Immersion. Yeah. And so what I decided to do was, you know, what? I'm yeah. going to take, take my notes from that podcast each week and I'm going to post them. And over the last four weeks, I've done that. And each week it's gotten bigger and bigger until this past week. You know, I'm, I sent a tweet out that, I emailed, uh, I think it was, I think that the number now is up to 850 coaches, my notes just this past weekend. Um, and so you can see them on, on, see them on Twitter. I post them generally every Friday or Saturday uh, and I post a tweet and then you can get on an email list where you can just get those every week. Or if you just, if you don't want that and you just want to follow me on Twitter and kind of you know, poach certain ones, you know, coaches are welcome to do that. I totally understand not wanting to join another email list. Um, and I just kind of email out, you know, here's what I took notes on this week. Here were my five top takeaways. Try to be as quick and concise as possible and then, and then email that out. So, well, I'll be honest, the last one you just did on radius athletics on spacing. Yeah. I mean, it was just the way you took the notes for me, it just made it very visual, uh, as a coach and it wasn't, and to be honest, and I don't want to be like sound disrespectful, like a lot of the stuff that you had written down was stuff I've heard or seen, but the way you presented it was just uh, allowed me to make so many more connections for my athletes. So I appreciate you for uh, doing that. That's such a great service for coaches. Absolutely. I love doing it. I really love doing it. It's something that I do by myself anyway. So it's really not that hard for me. This weekend was a little bit, it was a little bit more than I expected, you know, sending out 850 emails. And there were a couple of times my wife looked over me going, why are you at, you know, why are you at computer, your computer again? But, uh, but no, it's, it's easy for me because I'm already doing it anyway. So yeah, um, I love to get to do it, and it's been a great way for me to get to connect with so many coaches like you guys. So it's been awesome. Yeah, it has been you. awesome, Coach. We appreciate you so much. Thanks for the interview. It has been a tremendous. You know, uh, I've had a tremendous time here tonight. Yeah, no, I, I, I love this. I, you know, I, I listen to a lot, a lot of coaching podcasts, and I haven't heard many conversations like this one out there. So I really respect what you guys are doing and how you're kind of trying to fill a little bit different of a niche that is, is, is just as important as any other part of coaching. So I love, I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. Well, coach, we appreciate it. If we can ever be of service to you in the future, uh, let us know. Go safe travels on your uh, fall break here. Yes. Um, and, uh, and be well. Thank yes. you. I appreciate it. All right. All right, coach. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, 
and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 